we're in like row three of this lecture hall and I just answer my phone in row three and I go, yeah, what's up? And he goes, I'll give you X, X, and X to drop out of school and come back right now. And I stood up and walked off campus and never no. looked at Yeah, no, it's like, it's the what? only time I've ever done anything cool in my life, to be honest. Like, What a mic drop. Yeah, I didn't even like fill out the deferment stuff or anything. I just left school. <laughs> That's, that is so wild. All right, folks, we are back with another episode of You Are Not Your ROAS, and we have not only the kingmaker, but the ringmaker, Lewis Fawcett. How are you doing, my man? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I just, we we were like two ships crossing in the night. I just missed you uh, here in Austin. You were out here for the the Blue Whale Group. Uh, I know you melted a little bit, but how was the event? Oh, it was good. It was very hot. I'm honestly, I'm honestly... I really enjoy Austin, but uh, summer in Austin, I think, is something that no one should have to experience. It ain't it, man. It, it, the, a friend of mine calls it the Austin immunity system, where it, <laughs> it weeds out people that like, because there are a bunch of people that will move here, and then it, it gets out the people that if you get here during the summer and you can make it through the summer, because then you get like nine months of perfect weather. But yeah, June, July, August is, it's it's proper hot. And you're, you're out in SLC, right? Yeah. And it gets, I mean, it gets pretty hot out here too. Like we're only like, five to ten degrees cooler max but it's the humidity that kills me yeah no it's it's proper hot man i'll tell you what too i think southern utah i mean all of utah is beautiful but southern utah i think is some of the most gorgeous just scenery nature uh i i'm a huge fan i i got to do zion i got to do bryce uh, i need to do canyon of the gunnison or black canyon of the gunnison it's it's stunning out there man it is it is really beautiful country oh yeah we're we're lucky we we enjoy it i do find it really crazy though um in certain areas or certain times of the year you guys have horrible pollution because i guess that because you sit in that canyon or in the kind of vessel of the mountains it traps all the gases or some shit like that i could believe it yeah i'm not yeah not like an expert but yeah basically we get it happens in the summer too but not as often it's got something to do with also the cold weather but like in the summer you'll get it from the wildfires if there's big wildfires in california it'll blow in and it'll get trapped and it'll sit there for a few days but then it'll blow out but yeah in the winter something to do with just the like air density or something the pollution gets really caught up and you have to wait for it to basically snow and then like the moisture breaks it all down and lets it go away but yeah i remember in college one time I was doing like an outdoor workout and it literally felt like I was just running. I ran like two or three miles, nothing crazy. Coming inside, like it felt like I had smoked a pack of cigarettes <laughs> without the filter. Like that's what my throat and lungs felt like. And I was like, okay, uh, we're apparently we're not supposed to do that. Cause yeah, I didn't, I didn't grow up in Salt Lake. So oh, where'd you grow up? I grew up like in Utah, but in a more rural part of Utah to the okay. east a little bit, about like an hour and a half or so. Amazing. So yeah, I'm not, like I said, I'm a big fan of Utah. So let's get into it, man. So currently you're COO, a founder at Patrick Adair as well, or just COO? Um, yeah. So, well, so technically I'm the CEO, but like, we're not really big on titles. Yeah, yeah. Love like, that. Like, we don't really, I mean, like, we, I mean, like, title, most titles we feel like are pretty fake. So you can call me whatever you want. Um, I'm not technically a founder, no. So my, uh, my friend Patrick started it when we were technically, like, it was through some iterations, but he started it our senior year of high school, actually. Wow. Yeah. And he had just always been like the, like, prototypical maker. Yeah. You know, like, he wanted to just make cool stuff and, you know, he would in like middle school, he'd make duct tape wallets and try to sell them for a couple bucks. And it graduated to like, he was making some like crazy one-off stuff on and selling it on eBay. So like he would do 
if you know the DJ Dead Mouse, yeah, makes those fake Dead Mouse heads for raves with like the air conditioning and the LEDs what? inside of them and everything. And he'd sell each one for like five, six hundred bucks on eBay. But he was like, "This is like a ton of work. It's really hard, and like it takes like fifty hours to make one, and I sell it for four hundred bucks. And then there's all the materials. And Kickstarter was becoming this like big thing. So he's like, "I really want to do a Kickstarter because like then I could sell a lot of stuff instead of just like one thing." And so he manually like he manually scraped Kickstarter not like a super scientific way. Like you know, he was seventeen. Like he's not doing anything crazy but um and he just realized that projects that mentioned carbon fiber in them seemed to get funded more often than ones that didn't at that time of the design section and so he just bought he went on i probably ebay i don't actually know where he bought it but he went on ebay bought a sheet of carbon fiber i just like, took it to his mom's basement and was like what can i make out of carbon fiber and he tried all these things i actually was uh, i sent and showed a prototype of it to Sean from Ridge one time but his first thing was basically like the Ridge wallet but if it was designed by like a 17 year old who was teaching <laughs> themselves how to AutoCAD so like it was the exact same thing but like quite literally three times as bulky we still have like a CAD render of it in our company Google photos and like just so unrefined and he looked at it he's like I can't make that throws that one out goes through a few more things and then the next thing we landed on was rings because you know you can kind of just like if you take a whole saw and like make a hole and yeah. then take a bigger hole saw and make a bigger hole like you're that's a rig, you know, like, and it's simplest form. Like, obviously, there's a lot of stuff you can do to make it a lot nicer than that. But and so that's how it got started. And that was kind of the original founding story. But it went under a different name then. And we went off to college. We both went to the University of Utah in Salt Lake. Yep. Um, and we had like super different college experiences. So Patrick's college experience was like the I'm going to hang out, stay out till like 4 a.m., wake up, like drink a Red Bull, <laughs> go to class, fall asleep in lecture, take my exam. If I get a C, I get a C. But we both went to the Otters College there and we're on academic scholarships. And so after the end of the first year, he lost his academic scholarship and I did not lose mine. And so he had this like little side hustle ring business because what he had turned it into while he was still doing that is he would just go on Instagram and auction off commissions like an artist would. You know, so he'd say, you know, I've got 10 hours this weekend. Does anyone want me to make a ring? And it was just like a couple thousand people from that initial Kickstarter because his Kickstarter, he only he only did like five or six thousand. I'd have to look at the exact numbers. But in like building it up, he had built a Kickstarter or an Instagram following and just had like this really small niche brand. But he could, you know, sell a ring for, again, four or five, six hundred dollars. Sometimes sometimes it would be a bad week and he might sell one for one hundred fifty bucks. But he would just always sell them as a commission. But we got to the end of that freshman year and he was like, they're not going to let me be in the mechanical engineer anymore because my GPA is not high enough to get accepted into the program. And so he's like, well, what like I I actually just wanted to be an engineer because like everyone told me like it was cool and you could make money and you could like kind of design stuff. But I really like designing stuff. So what if I do product design? And he went to like interview and talk to like that program and they were like, oh yeah, like our average or median starting salary when you graduate is like $41,000. And he was like doing the math and he's like, okay, so that's like, I think I could sell $41,000 of rings just auctioning them off on Instagram. And so he was like, well, if I'm going to do, like, if I want to make products, why don't I just go make products? And so that's what he did. Um, And he just kind of naturally kept growing it over the next year, 18 months, just kind of doing that same process of Instagram. He started filming YouTube videos, which would just, he would just film himself making the actual ring for Instagram, you know? So like, it wouldn't be anything crazy. Just, you know, a kid with a camera, turn it on, set it on himself. You know, some of those first videos, like I remember one of the very first ones, like the editing was so rough in the sense of, I can't remember which one it is. I think it's a meteorite one or something, but it's like a 30 minute video with not very much editing, like no speed ramping or anything. And so what he does is it just overlays on the screen and says, this video is kind of long. I suggest you download it and watch it at two times speed or something along those lines. I'm like, literally just saying like, this video is too long. I couldn't, I didn't fix it. Deal with it. You know, like 
And it just, it works. Like people, it just slowly kept growing this like niche following. And then, yeah, like about after my sophomore year, he came to me and was just asking me to help him out on all these random projects. Like he'd be, cause we had, we grew up in a smaller town, like our entire county only had one high school. So like I'd probably known Patrick since I was 11 or 12, but we hadn't really been friends till our senior year of high school. So we're super good friends or anything, but the way we had like met and met around each other the most was through these classes at our high school called digital media. So like Photoshop, Adobe Illustrator, Premiere, stuff like that. And so he's just like, oh, you know how to like use Photoshop. Can you edit these 20 photos I took and put them on my GoDaddy website, you know, and then a week, two weeks later, back, here's 50 bucks. Can you just edit this YouTube video? I don't have time this week, you know, or, and so that's kind of how I got started in the process. And that was like a little before the summer after my sophomore year of college, but summer comes around and I had been working at a research lab. We had been designing like fake human tissue and my, it's like a really serendipitous for me, not in the actual generic sense of the word but like my what's sorry I'm looking for the PhD who ran the lab had had some health issues and so he kind of was MIA which I don't know why I did what I did because honestly I was like the dream setup for most college students of I had a I was like a funded position so I was like a research assistant but in, if you're an undergrad most people like that's like volunteer work so I got paid like not a lot it was like I mean good money then it was 12 13 bucks an hour or something but because he was MIA there wasn't work for me to do because he was having these health issues but the lab just told me like hey just like show up sit for 40 hours a week we don't care they're like well like we'll give you busy work like find someone talk to him like you'll get out of it what you put in but like he'll be back in you know a couple months so we'll just keep you busy till he's back and you'll be good and instead i was like well this is kind of boring and patrick had been like well i need help with this i need help with this so i just kept helping him more and more and instead of working 40 hours there i'd work 15 hours there and 25 hours there and over time it just transitioned to where it was like a full 40 hours and we came to the end of that summer and by then I was doing just a lot like Patrick. It was almost more like a manager YouTuber relationship than an actual like e-commerce business at that time. Cause we, at that time, we fully thought it was going to be a YouTube business. We were getting AdSense was like half of the revenue YouTube AdSense. Wow. We might get one or two sponsorships and they would be, you know, another like 10% of the revenue. And we'd still sell a good amount of rings, but just back then we were getting so many views with so little effort that it was pretty easy to like think of it more as media. And so it had just transitioned that way. And I was doing all of this work, like helping us, like I built the customer support stuff so that we could hire someone to uh, and assign orders and then have someone making rings that wasn't just Patrick, you know, editing videos, helping negotiate with brand spots, like doing all this still kind of like random work, but I was doing quite a bit of it. And I went back to school at the end of the summer because, you know, summer is over and I go back to school and I'm just like, I just remember sitting there on like first day of classes. It's like the end of the day. It's like 2 p.m. I'm in my last class. It was some biology lecture. And I'm just like, this sucks. Like, this is so boring. <laughs> I hate this. I'm not even like that good at school, which is like the ultimate like imposter syndrome because I was very good at school. But I was just like, oh, I'm not like the literal best student at this university with 30,000 people. So like I'm trash at it. I need to leave. And I'm like, this sounds like a fake story, but I swear it's not. I'm looking up with like a couple friends around me. I'm on my laptop. And instead of taking notes, I'm Googling how to drop out of college, like how to defer enrollment, like trying to find <laughs> the things. And Patrick calls me on the phone. And again, I'm like the world's biggest pansy. Like I'm like the yes, sir, kind of guy in like school and everything. And we're in like row three of this lecture all. And I just answer my phone in row three. And I go, yeah, what's up? And he goes, I'll give you X, X, and X to drop out of school and come back right now. And I stood up and walked off campus and no. never No. Yeah. No, it's like, it's the what? only time I've ever done anything cool in my life, to be honest. Like, What a mic drop. 
Yeah, I didn't even like fill out the deferment stuff or anything. I just left school. That's that is so I dropped, wild. I did drop all my classes, so I got the tuition money. Back. Yeah, yeah, of course, the little bit of tuition money. But wow, that's incredible. That is a wild story. So from that, you go, and now what are you doing? So because you're, you're you're pot committed now, right? Like the boats are burned. I'm all in. Yeah, it was the same thing. And so a lot of it was just like one foot in front of the other. So one thing, and I can't remember exactly when we did this, but at one point we ramped up YouTube production and this might've been during the summer, but I think it was during, I think it was after that we ramped it up. And so we went from like one video a week to two videos a week. And so we, cause again, at the time we're doing no paid marketing, nothing else. It's just YouTube videos, rings on a website, we have like one part-time guy helping make rings. Sometimes I help make rings. Sometimes Patrick still makes rings. Like, and we're thinking of it more like a YouTuber would merch, you know, like selling t-shirts, fulfilling t-shirts. You know, you have a guy who packs boxes, whatever. Um, and again, we were selling like a good amount, but it just, it hadn't clicked to us that there, it was way easier to make money from selling the rings than the advertising revenue. So we go up to two times a week and at two times a week, the workflow was like, hellacious like so patrick would film monday tuesday and then into wednesday um and he would get whenever he'd get done filming on wednesday is when i'd start editing the video and i would edit from the time he was done until i had a version ready to get a voiceover on it so i would edit till like sometimes it'd be 12 a.m i like this whole time we're still shipping orders you know we're still shipping low 10 or five feet like 10 20 thousand dollars worth of rings a month you know we're selling making shipping and doing with kind of all that normal fulfillment stuff. So I would do that until like midnight. Sometimes, you know, usually between like midnight and one is when I'd get that first cut done. Then Patrick would come in. He would voice it over. After he had his voiceover done, he'd go to bed and I would cut it from like a 20 minute rough cut with a voiceover down to like the eight minute YouTube video. And I'd usually be able to finish that by like 3 a.m. I'd go to sleep. Sometimes I wouldn't even go home. I'd just sleep on the couch. Uh, At the time we were working out of an apartment he had that had a garage underneath it. So I was like, kind of like a mother-in-law apartment at a rent at a house, you know, so garage and we were using the garage to make rings upstairs apartment. So sometimes I'd sleep on the couch and I'd get woken up once whoever was the first person to wake up there, woke up the next day, they'd wake me up so I could start working again. And then we do that same thing Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we just did that for like four or five months straight. And it was really good. It caught a whole bunch of momentum. And some of those videos started to do really well. And what happened is as they did well, we started to like learn basics of like marketing. So, you know, we're like, okay, all these people come to our site, but what do we do after they come to our site and never come back? We're like, oh, we should get their email. You know, so we started doing stuff to get their email. And then we started doing email marketing and sending out emails a couple times a week and all these things. And then we get to the end of that year, maybe January or so. We have this one video that pops off super well, like it does crazy well. And we're just blown away. Like we're like, holy crap, this is crazy. We can't believe it. It's going so great. And at that time, we're just like, okay, so like how, what do we do next? And so we hired an editor. We started like, okay, well, what about ads? We start, we hired some of the ad agency to start writing ads. We started working with them. And then from there, just kind of compounded, just like normal e-commerce stuff. And other than that, like initial burst, we actually have never been like a super explosive brand. We really have grown like 30, 40% year over year, just stacking it up, you know, and just trying to take like sustainable growth, which part of it, I think is where we are a higher price point. So like our AOV is like 450 ish plus dollars like between 450 and 500 depending on the exact season and you know 400 like 61 or whatever some odd numbers at the end you know if you look at a trailing ttm so but yeah that's just kind of like the short and sweet version of the story that is crazy man that's so cool 
I can't get out of my mind you sitting there being this academic scholar, have your uh, research funding, and then you're in class like, I hate my life. I don't want to do this. This isn't what I want to do. You get it called during the lecture and then you just like, fuck it. I'm out. That is the, that's a gangster story. That's amazing. Yeah. And I literally, again, like if you talk to anyone who like went to high school with me, they'd be like that. They'll like, shut the hell up. That is, he would never have done that. Never. You're lying. And I just like don't know what came over me because again it was like it was like super cushy like not to be like egocentric or anything but like I was I was really good at school like growing up that's what I was always really good at was school so like I think in college I had like a three nine one GPA I was studying physics I have um it would have been I would have published a research paper but because I dropped out I'm actually the second author on it because I gave it to the uh, I gave it to an MD PhD student who was working on it with me because I still needed like another like ten to twenty hours of research work to go into it finish off but like so like I'm published in like a physics journal like. I was pretty much on track. So like, you never know how it would turn out over the next couple of years. But like, pretty good chance that I could pick, you know, my handful of like top 20 PhD, MD programs and get to go wherever I want just because it had worked out that way. I'd gone super lucky. Like, I was working at a research lab with um, the guy who used to do it. He used to be the chair of radiology for the research arm of the University of Utah Medical Hospital. Oh, wow. Or research hospital. And so, like, we just had, like, a crazy amount of, like, funding and pull. And for whatever reason, I think it was just because he, like, researched something really niche and I had been the one person interested in it. And he was like, oh, this is, you know, like, someone's interested and, like, I have funding. I can add, like, tenure. Well, he's, like, the kind of tenured professor where, like, I'm pretty sure they could stab someone on campus yeah. and, like, they would just get suspended, not fired, <laughs> exactly. you know? Because he's like, so... You know, it just, it was all going super well. And I just, for whatever reason, just was like, I'm going to throw this away on a whim and it just happened to work out. That is so incredible. So with that, I mean, you don't become good at academics, especially at your level without kind of understanding processes and systems. Is that kind of what you took from your academia and then overlaying it into, because it sounds like you, you were pretty smart about building things where at the beginning, you, you kind of do what you need to do when you need to do it type of stuff. But once you guys found like there was a there there, it sounded like you started, you were pretty smart in terms of how you started bolting on these other things and basically extracting you out of what like the corporate speak would be is that individual contributor role where you could start to sit over the layers of the business and you could work on the business versus in the business. Is that kind of how it landed or? Yeah, that's that's what I would say is like my like quote unquote, I don't know if I'd call it even like a superpower. I don't I want to say I'm like that good at it, but that's like my strongest skill sets are like, I have like a really good background in like math. So like I'm pretty, I'm really analytical, just like the way I think about things like data, I like data, things like that. Um, And then like that naturally leads into like, oh, you know, systems processes like how can we how can we take this from something someone does one time like what could we do to tweak it to make it more repeatable how can we improve that like that's where i would say like i love a lot of stuff like i love marketing i love doing it but like that's where i get like the most fulfillment is like when we can take something that's a process which i find you actually get a lot more of that out of like manufacturing in e-commerce than almost anywhere else but like we can go look at a process and say okay well if we do here's like our hypothesis this it's right now it has step one two three four but if we add step three a right here, we might be able to be 10% more efficient. And oh, look at that, like it comes out just like a math problem, where at the end of the day, you're like, oh, we lowered our unit price 5%. Now, you know, and that's the stuff I really enjoy. And there's like a lot of that in marketing too. Like we do that with like our premium protection program and some of these other things, like where you can tag things on and testing, like there's all these places where it can go. But yeah, that's what I'd say is like the big thing I took away that I think helped is just, I was super analytical, like research driven and process oriented. Cause again, like um, the way it had worked in like my research background is basically, so the lab had really good funding so I could work on anything I wanted. But at one point, just to like help make my work free, if I did like 
if I submitted to the university, like here's a like research project I'm going to do, the university had like a slush fund for undergraduate research that they could give to undergraduate researchers. So then like the university was paying me not the lab for, you know, 20 hours of work a week or whatever. And like going through that, like it's very process. Like it's, it is like, a, it's like you're making a process. You have a hypothesis and like you go through and you test it and you go down into the lab every day and you do step one, two, three, four, five. And sometimes you, I'm like, because it's like, un- it has like a lot of really strict like federal laws and stuff around it where like I could only work X number of hours or it like ruins the entire program for the entire university because now I'm a full-time employee and I can sue for certain benefits and stuff. So, you know, like, oh, if I want to get this done, it's actually going to take 200 hours right the way I'm doing it now. But if I can change these three steps in my process, you know, and so I think it was just having that background is what made me like, is what I took over. Like I had kind of been doing entrepreneurship, like oper- like almost being like a little project manager, operation manager for my first two years in college doing that stuff. And so it just naturally kind of slotted in of it's just like, what are all the ways we can make this more efficient? And that's just what we did, you know? I I love that. And candidly, that's what I've seen some of the best, most successful businesses where you kind of had this mad scientist product person, and then you have this incredibly analytical process oriented person. And when you marry them, there's just this, this money machine that can be made because you have all this product pumping out, keep the creativity coming, blah, blah, blah. And I'll figure out ways to make it efficient. And you've, because I mean, your guys' YouTube channel is like 859,000 followers, subscri- subscribers. Now. I mean, that's not nothing. That's that's pretty, yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, it was definitely a lot of work. And yeah, and it's like, that's definitely what we find works well. And it's, it's weird because I guess from all the people I talk to in like the space, most people aren't this way, but it does like throw me for a loop because at like, if you're familiar, are you familiar with like EOS? Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, like everyone talks about like visionary versus integrator. Yep. And like, I'm just like sitting here like, why do F would you ever want to be a visionary when you could be an integrator? Yeah. And, but then like you talk to nine out of 10 people on like Twitter or whatever, and everyone's like, oh, I'm a visionary. I just need an integrator. And I'm just like, wow, like just, that's the fun part. Like you just get to go, I don't know. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's people just built different, man. I mean, there, yeah. there's like cre- creativity is really hard or like wild, weird, crazy visionary stuff I think is really hard to teach. Um, and candidly, like yeah. integrator stuff, not necessarily hard to teach. It's just hard to um, grasp and then deploy. Yeah, I think it's in like, I would I would say it's easier to like teach and learn, but it takes a lot more like discipline because there there are a lot of times where it's like less fun. You know, but like if for me, it's still really fun. I could definitely see how if like you don't like if that's not what brings you joy, like it's there's times where it can be really tedious or grindy when you're like, okay, what we're doing today is like we're tweaking this one little thing. We're going to look at spreadsheets for seven hours and then we're going to make this one tiny little change and we're going to do the same thing tomorrow and see did this process get a little better. The way I kind of like a bifurcation I see is the artist and the scientist where you, you the scientist is just rigorous, beats their head against the wall, super processing oriented. And the artist is just when inspiration hits me blah 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 and again i think the the marriage of those two is is such a such a incredible recipe for success definitely i definitely agree i like that because that that would be how i'd see it too okay let's wrap up the main segment what's the nicest thing someone has done for you the nicest thing someone has done for me i don't know if i have a good answer but not because no one's done nice things for me but it's like i feel like there's so many i've never had one person who did something like so crazy blow you away but it would definitely probably be something my father-in-law's done for me um just like there's been times since i've been married where he's done he's he's helped us a lot in like just as like a guide and a mentor that's been really shocking and like there's been ways where he's been like just been i mean he's just he's just always been there and like there's i have a really specific one that i can share off 
Mike, but like, I mean, I can share it here. It's like at one point I was buying something and he didn't like the rate the bank was getting. And so he tried, he did a private hard money deal for it for 12 months so we could see if interest rates change. I actually got, it actually ended really poorly. Like interest <laughs> rates went up really high. So it actually was like, it was like net negative, but it was very kind. The, the, in the gesture, moment. the gesture was net positive, but the outcome. Yeah, the gesture. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, it was almost reverse nepotism because it cost me like hundreds of dollars a month in the future. But, you know, hey, it's, but gesture, gesture very kind. And it's not, and he's not like ultra wealth or anything. He's just a, he's been a hardworking blue collar businessman his whole life. And he was just like, well, you guys, I don't love that condo the way that bank is treating guys about that condo. Cause it was, uh, we're having issues with like self-employing. Yeah, dude, it's the worst. Yeah, or it's, it's great. Cause you get to the tax benefits are fantastic, but once you need access to financial instruments, it's a, it can be a nightmare. Yeah. And then, and it was just like, it was pre COVID. And then by the time it was not that it was post COVID and it was, I ought to make sense anymore. Actually. Yeah. So I literally just sold it at like a wash. It's like wash the games, you know, well, sh- shout out father-in-law. That's amazing. It's always, it's good to have supportive family around you. Um, okay. Let's jump into the brand a little bit. So Tell me a little bit about how you think of, because you guys have just an incredible presence everywhere and you have such a unique product. How do you think of the totality of like Patrick Adair? Is it um, certain channels? Is it always these unique metals, these unique designs? Like what what is kind of your driving muse to make sure that you're growing month over month, et cetera, et cetera? I think the way we think about it, which there's probably, there's like, we definitely are not the best in the world at like performance marketing. I think this, but I would hope that some of that probably is just to the nature of like selling a more luxury price point good. The like direct response type stuff is not is a little harder to do. But the way we think about it is like we just want to make stuff so cool that people think about it the next time they're in the buying segment. And it's just like, how do we get from, you know, how do we just survive to get to that next point for every single customer? How do we make sure we're there? And so yeah, that's like that's how we think about we try to try to make the coolest stuff and like I genuinely think we, I think, I mean, I don't think there's another, and you don't have to say this because like, obviously you should be more impartial, but like, I don't think there's another direct to consumer company in our segment that I know of that makes jewelry anywhere in the same category of quality and aesthetic as we do. Like you get a lot of companies that like sell, like they do it more as like the wedding bands. And like, I can show you the factories where they all get and like the markups, they're incredible and everything. But like at the end of the day, they're selling a $2 ring from China. Maybe it's $3 and 50 cents, depending on what it is. Like they're like, you know, it's just like, it's not the same thing as like, we're out here trying to like, like we're trying to figure out how to be David Yerman in that 50 years, not how to be, you know, the jewelry counter at Macy's yeah, where you can just something. go in and buy a buy a wedding band for 250 bucks or whatever 200 bucks and it's again it's just marked up 100x straight out of China. I love that man. I and I think everything's like a double-edged sword, but that is one of the things where cuz you deal with this a little bit in SaaS especially as you get to the higher price points where it's very hard to convert off of paid, especially or directly off of paid, if that makes sense. And so yeah. the strategy, at least at Triple Whale, when I was running the marketing was, I know I'm not going to convert people off of paid, but what can I do to one, make sure that people I'm in the decision set when somebody is ready to consume? And then more importantly, am I that first decision or that first option in that decision set? And then once they do come ready to consume, then they're like, oh yeah, I got some money now. Or the Patrick Adair finally came out with the design that I really want. I'm going to do 
it. But it's weird because I came from a very heavy performance marketing background. Like that's that was pretty much almost. I did some app install stuff for a little while, um, which it, it's kind of same same but different. But it's it's a it's a weird world. But for the most part, it's always been direct to consumer performance marketing. And I can't believe it's kind of that uh, funny Batman Dark Knight quote of like you live long enough, you die a hero, or live long enough to become the villain. Where I'm such a brand maxi now. Like it, it matters. I mean, definitely you have to have the economics to back into it, which you guys do. And you have to have the product to back into it. Cause that's, those are the two things where if you don't have the product or the economics, things get weird. Cause to your point, if I'm selling, uh, you know, $1,100 ring, it needs to be not only a premium product, but it needs to be almost in that luxury category of like, it's unique. It's incredible. The build quality is awesome. The unboxing is great. Like every part of the experience is amazing, but then you also have to have the economics to back into it. And I don't think all businesses are built like that. But what you guys have done, I think is incredible. Because on the other thing too, you have so much massive uh, organic reach as well, which can really start to bolster that as well. Because you get people that are just naturally, you're not buying revenue is what I'm trying to say. And I think a lot of D2C brands got over their skis when COVID distorted a lot of the macroeconomics and they were buying all this revenue. And then once that arbitrage went away, they were kind of the, the tide went out and you were kind of caught you got to see who was naked type of stuff. Yeah. No, and I definitely say it's like, I listen to say like we spend, you know, six figures, hundreds of thousands on performance marketing, but all of that is supplementary to that idea of like, we're trying to be here in 50 years selling cutting edge, cool jewelry. And that is, and that like, and we had some of those same things, honestly, like over COVID, like we definitely had a lot of ups and then downs coming off of it because again, you could, the performance aspect was better, but that is the way we just think about it. It's like, how do we, how do we make sure we're cool enough that people are thinking about us? And we kind of call it like, we stole this from Nate from original grand, but kind of like mid America luxury of like, we're middle-class luxury. Like we're not going to, and maybe we will in the future, but like our current demographics, like we're not stealing customers from Tiffany's yet. But we are stealing customers who look at a Ridge or a Manly Band or someone and they go, actually, you know what? I'd rather have something 10 times cooler for 40% more. Exactly. And that's where we are positioned right now. Middle America Um, luxury. I love that. I haven't heard that. I'm a a big fan of Nate's as well. That's funny. I like that. Yeah. So I know it's just kind of the way we always think about it. Like that's that's like the design element is kind of our guiding principle. Like we never we try to never put out something that we are proud to put out. You know, oh my gosh, I think that's such a bar, man. And I think that um, there's also a, a kind of, I was just uh, listening to uh, Shane Parrish on the Knowledge Project and he was interviewing uh, Dr. Julie Gertman. They were talking about a bunch of stuff, but one of the things that stuck out to me was when you care about it, your standards are just naturally high. There's not like a, uh, you don't have to force yourself to be perfect. You just strive for perfection because you have that intrinsic motivation because you care about it and you want to ship stuff that's proud. And I think it's huge, man, because it, it you can get, and again, people can run the companies however they want. And again, there's economics and there's nothing wrong with clocking in, clocking out, and you're going oh, yeah. to be that person. But And a lot of these other jewelry companies, I'll be transparent, a lot of the other jewelry companies make more money than I do. So, you know, like they're, it's obviously working for them. That's just not what we've been trying to do. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's beautiful. And you know what I mean? David Yurman, that's a really good, uh, I think muse to go after because they they make some just absolutely show-stopping stuff like you guys where um it's it does feel almost not only that one of a kind but there is this this essence and vibe that i feel like you guys put in your products especially to the representation like when you go to the website you see these crazy materials that you're working with and the way you guys rep 
represent it. It's it, it almost feels like uh, NASA had a baby with like an iconic fashion house. It's it's a really interesting vibe. Yeah, and that's like that's the vibe we're going for. And, and yeah, it's just like that's what we that's our entire focus is like product first and making the coolest stuff. And honestly, marketing comes second. And we figure it out like we have some stuff though like honestly if we did it a really different way like we could probably sell a lot more but like it just it violates that ethos so we haven't done it um you know like we have some products that if we like knock the quality down 20 percent, we could probably knock the pricing down on the cost 60 percent, which then means we could sell them for 225 dollars, and we could probably sell a ton but like you know we just never want to be shipping products where like it looks better on the site than it does on your hands you know oh wow that's a bar that's a bar i like that a lot and I, as a purveyor uh, if i buy a bunch of stupid luxury shit there's nothing worse like there's no, that's the fastest way to make a enemy for life because you feel hoodwinked, right? Where it's, it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, this looked like this incredible thing. And then you get the actual thing and the experience is just so subpar. That's a, it's a bar. I love that. Yeah. That's yeah. And we like, honestly, we had never been thinking of it in that exact context until like a little while ago, we just went and we did a whole bunch of competitor research. We were just buying all these other brand stuff. And again, we know like the factories, like we probably work 50% of the same factories as everyone else for like inputs we just are not getting finished products from we're just getting inputs from them and we just like look through and we're looking at them side by side and like you could literally hold it up to their website and you're like okay this one literally like doesn't look like the same product like you wouldn't you wouldn't say this is brand x if you saw it at your at a jewelry store unmarked you would say oh like that's just kind of a generic mary but on their site it looks awesome because it's it's got this focus stacking with you know 10 hours of editing into each still and like and again like we it's, it's just part of the game like so again like it's not good we're not, like not calling it well but that was just one thing we like sat hard and thought long and hard about it's so, like if we make something and it looks ri- like it has to look as of that wow factor in real life because like not we but, like that's how those buyers that we're targeting shop of like i'm sure you've been in the same position right like you go into like a gucci or a louis vuitton or a david yarman a tiffany's any any of these luxury boutiques and before you've got in, if you are familiar, especially like when you're first starting in that world, like you just go like, oh, why would you ever shot? Like whatever is it? But then you see like one of, they'll just have a product there. Like you see it in your hands and you hold it and you're like, this is it. Like this is amazing. Like it, it might still be really pricey and maybe you still think it's over, but like you go, I see why people like this, you know? Couldn't agree with you more. I think that for me, the way I tie, like differentiate is overpriced and expensive. I hate, hate despise overpriced things. I don't mind expensive stuff. I don't necessarily buy all of it, but to your point, like when you feel the build quality, when you see the artisanship, when you like, you get it, you're like, okay, I get why this is so expensive. And then I think that is also a function of the brand, right? Because I think of brand as almost like the aggregation of all the touch points. And when you see the work put into every piece of that brand, it starts to become like, oh, I get it now. So I, dude, I love how you're thinking of that. I think it's so spot on and it, it not only builds longevity for the brand, but also you become almost like um, every product becomes like a billboard, right? Where it's like, damn, that ring is gorgeous. What ring is that? Oh, that is amazing. And it, it starts to proliferate out where um, I think that's brilliant. Do you want to scale your Shopify store? Do you want more commas in the bank account? Do you want to track every single metric? Do you want to make custom metrics? Do you want a real-time dashboard with over 15 integrations and more coming daily? Do you want a tracking solution that can show you new customer revenue, new customer site visits, gross profits, or even custom metrics, something crazy new that we don't even track yet? You can do all of this with our triple pixel. How about inventory management? Never run out of stock again. 
What about an activity feed where we pull in every single change throughout your marketing ecosystem? You can even add custom activities as well to see the impact on your business. Do you want reporting, whether that be an email or Slack? How about cohorts, LTV, AOV, customer journeys? Maybe a little bit creative analysis to understand what angles ads are performing best. Well then, Triple Whale is your solution. You can go right over to triplewhale.com and grab a demo today and start riding the lightning. What if you could start over, what would you change? Um, okay, if I could start over, A, I would have spent a lot more money on paid advertising earlier. Really? We, like, we could have just been way more buttoned up. Interesting. We were, yeah, just because we didn't like run super. We were like, I would say we're actually fairly sophisticated now, like with our performance marketing aspect. But like for the longest time, I'm just like outsourced to agencies. Think about the creative, but like don't even really check in on it or anything. Just let it go. And like, it is what it is. Whereas like, Looking back, like with all the knowledge we have now, it's like, oh, we could have like we could have really hit something super hard and probably done a lot better by being more focused on some of these things, on those aspects. As far as like in the business, I think that's kind of the biggest one. Obviously, there's some like stuff like we were, I mean, we were young, we were kids, like we were that's 19, 20 point. when we yeah, started. 100%. Like, like there's a ton of mistakes we made along the way of like, oh, we hired friends and we're slow to fire and like stuff like that that like probably could have like not just done better for the business but also better for the relationships because like we could have got out of it in way earlier instead of like things festering whatever um and then honestly like the weirdest one but i i will kind of stand by this one is like if we could go clear back i would have picked something that wasn't jewelry because i do think we are i do think we could have taken the same attitude to other spaces and probably had better economics for the sense of like actually scaling as a direct-to-consumer brand we have really good margin but again it's just the cost we have to we sell so high priced that like it is really hard to acquire customers on the performance side and like i i love it i love the game we're in it's a ton of fun but i definitely think like from an academic standpoint it's probably a b-tier game at best the way we're playing it whereas like if we had built to be different from the beginning we could do other things, you know, if we had found products where we could have made stuff with that same focus on quality, but without having to be as high of price point. Yeah. Where we could be more of a price point where performance works in a much quicker conversion. time. Yeah, no, I think that's spot on because that that is definitely the the challenge there. But it's a weird thing. Luxury, luxury or like high high end premium slash luxury is this weird thing because it's almost like once you can cross the chasm, it becomes from that C, you know, C ish B plus game to this A game where it's like it, that's I think the the challenge with luxury high end products because you have to buy into the future essentially or market into the future essentially because nobody's going to buy a, or very few people buy an eleven hundred dollar ring on first touch right but yep and it's also the other thing I would say to that too that I will agree that I think at like large scales right like if you gave me the choice between like Tiffany's and I don't even have another example, but like Tiffany's K and Jewelers or something. Not even like a K Jewelers. I'm, I was trying to think like a more D to C company that's like a fifty million dollar, seventy million dollar, really like native dealer. Like you give me a choice between Tiffany's and native dealer, but you equalize their revenue. I would rather be. I'd rather run Tiffany's. Uh, like especially like not even from the business side. Like I just just because of I think that's a cool industry, all of that. But it is harder. I think it's harder to build a Tiffany's than it is to build a native deodorant because it's. It's a 50, 60, I feel like it is a 50 year game, not a, not a five year, you know? 
couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's pretty, co- not impossible, but like the only one that really comes to mind right now, and I'm sure there's other ones, is like a Jonathan Adler or something where it's like, it's really hard to build an iconic fashion house slash luxury brand that isn't multi-generational. Like these things take really, they, they take really long time. So I think you're right where you're, that that's also, and I, to your point too, I think it's also a function of that sales cycle, right? Yeah. Of like, you're not buying as often, therefore like, so I, I totally agree. And especially we, yeah, like we have data on it. Like it takes like three or four times as longer for our organic customers to convert than our performance customers. Like, and a lot of it's because they're not in market, right? Like we can't make sure they're in market. We can try to do it with like videos targeting or whatever, but like in reality, it's like they see something cool and then they might not have enough money to buy it as a discretionary purchase for five years and, or they might not get married, engaged for two years or like we could run an ad, a guy sees it, they think the ring's cool and they're in a serious committed relationship. So now it's just about whenever they get engaged, you know, or they're already engaged and they're ring shopping and it's just taking that six month engagement to convince them they should spend a little bit more on our products. But yeah, so it just like, it feels like a hard game that way. Um, and yeah, like in it now, like I definitely love it. I love jewel. Like I didn't grow up liking jewelry or anything, but I love it. I love the luxury stuff. Like I do love it. But again, like we got, st- Patrick got started not because he wanted to make rings, but because he wanted to make the coolest products. So that's where I'm like, I think if we had from the beginning, if we had like done it a different way, like a good example, they were at the Blue Oil Group is like Henson Shaving. We wouldn't have been able to like, they have, they, the engineering into their product is incredible, even though it's just, I mean, it's just a razor, but the engineering behind it is incredible. But like they're, they're doing the same thing, but you look at how pe- it's a lot easier to get someone to buy a $75 razor than it is to buy a $450 ring, you know? And to, yeah, cause I'm friends with Charlie over at one blade and they kind of have the same, same, but different where they make this like incredible razor, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing too there, um, that you get is consumables, right? So you have razors, you have these ancillary products with shaving cream, these other things. Yeah. I don't want to like dox Henson. They were at the Blue Well group though. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm um, they don't do consumables right now. That's really? against their business model. Yeah, that's it's like the craziest thing I've ever seen. I get it from like their brand perspective. It's like a really strong thing. Their razor is designed. You can buy any safety razor from like Lowe's, Home Depot, Ace Hardware, any of those hardware stores and put it right in their razor and it'll shave just as well. And so because of that, they do have like a razor upsell, but it's like a hundred blades for like five, 10 bucks. So like it's like a lifetime supply of razors. Like a nothing thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I'm sure in the future, like they have to change that, right? we're talking there like i'm sure that like something like a shaving cream and things like that like, i'm sure that's going to be a no-brainer to step into but that blew my mind of like they're just like no we're just freaking just we're dominating like unit economics i don't know anything about the competitive space on like who their competitor is however in zoom but they're like we're just killing it just only selling the handle basically like that's our, our entire business is just a one-time purchase of a handle and we're the best like we have the best e-commerce business i've ever seen from the outside looking in that's interesting to me but it almost it's almost like a worse model of what you guys are running because you have i mean the price yeah. point's a little lower but at the same time they don't have the breadth and spectrum of really cool stuff right and then they only get this ltv or an aov business like i got to get all my money on that first hit and it's it's hard to push that aov up because and it's definitely more of an arbitrage in the short term i think they'll have a lot of opportunities like for us it's a lot hard I, for jewelry especially around men it's a lot harder to get a man to come back especially in a quick cycle whereas i think for them like they will have a lot of opportunities so like they could do a shaving cream or a travel oh yeah for sure a travel bag or like they'll have a lot of accessory products they could develop and add on 
But because of that, it is a, yeah, they're just a good example. Like they just make a really cool product and the unit economics make a lot more sense for like direct to consumer than ours do because, you know, it's $100 AOV or whatever. I don't know what their AOV is, but like at $75 razor, assume there's some other stuff that upsells and stuff. So around $100, you know. That Yeah, I'm tracking. That is interesting. I got to go, I got to look more into his brand because that is interesting. It feels like um, that is just ripe for um, expansion revenue around around something because if you can, that land and expand almost, right? Like I land the, I land the razor, almost break, if you, even if I break even on the razor, but then make it up on these other consumables and ancillary products, it's like that makes all the sense, especially with the, um, if you have that brand equity built into the product being so incredible, like why wouldn't you monetize that kind of almost like concentric circles, right? You come for the ra- or come for the incredibly designed razor handle and then you get X, Y, and Z and then, oh, because that, that's been my one fear or that's been the one business that I would never want to run is those one touch businesses where it's really challenging. Like you have to get all your money on that first touch. If not, it's like, how do I incite more buying moments because if I'm making indestructible leather wallets or something, it's like your feature is also a bug. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I feel that. But yeah, no, them and I guess you were in it blue well, but like I'm I will I will share anything shared privately, but like Henson razors and hostage tape are like probably my two like number one like brands I would bet on. And I discovered them both through Blue Well. They were both just like hearing their stories and like their traction and stuff and what they're doing. I was like, holy crap. Like if you like I would I would trade places with you in a heartbeat kind of things because they were just, they're killing it. They're doing so well. That's incredible. I have to check them out. Yeah. I guess kind of just to round out before we get into the rapid fire, have you thought of um, like product expansion or how do you like smooth your revenue curve, right? Where I'm sure there's some seasonality in it because there's only so many purchasing moments, whether it's a personal purchase or like you said, um, you know, remembrance or um, commemoration in terms of like a marriage or things like that. Like out in those moments aren't necessarily like most people don't get married multiple times. I mean, some people do, but th- those usually those <laughs> multiple marriages are, are, are at least spaced out a year or two. And so like, how do you drive that sales velocity? Because at a certain point, you're going to hit um, you know, uh, addressable market issues, right? Of like, dude, everybody that's wanted a Patrick Adair ring has gotten into Patrick Adair ring. So is there like other, because I think bracelets could be really cool for you guys, things of that nature where you take your your metallurgy and your those processes, but into a different form factors, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. So we've been, we've been toying around with it. We have some really cool bracelets that like, I think we made... There's a little tweaks. I think it depends on your exact frame. Actually, I think if you're like me, if you're like a slightly larger frame, right? So I'm like six feet right now. I think I'm like 235. But like even, you know, like if I was like 190, like I would be six packs through my shirt level of like, just because I'm a bigger guy. I think we made by far the coolest chain bracelet for men that are bigger. And I think it'll still be the coolest bracelet for men that are smaller. It just needs some sizing, tightening up, uh, like changing some dimensions and stuff. But, and we have that on the back burner. We haven't launched it yet just because we aren't a hundred percent. Like we want to be really good. We want to have, right now we have all of our focus on the rings and just trying to carve a little, make sure we have like everything really so performances and processes, especially on the performance side, like really carved out where it's defensible. But we do have some of those in the back, some pendants and stuff. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say too. What we're trying to figure out is just, again, the way to make sure that it's it's cool enough that we're okay putting our name on it and makes sense to the market and all of that. Because like we had some stuff that we made that was really cool. I think it's, we could sell it again now. I think we have it hidden on the site, but like we were selling 
loan five figures of these like this one skew of pendants every month and like it was going decently well like not great but all right but the hard part was like the unit economics for us didn't quite make sense for like I think for it, I think we needed to be about $100 cheaper to the customer, but we couldn't afford to be $100 cheaper to the customer. You couldn't find the margin there. Yeah. yeah. And so we we were just selling them at the higher margin and no one would sell us. So, like, so we have some stuff, we have some stuff we're thinking about and we're getting much closer to being able to play around with those. Right now we have some really big, like interesting tests. Right now we're trying to, because we've actually never done wedding. 50% of our customers buy for a wedding, but we actually don't target the wedding market at all, like in ad copy or anything. We just are in, like we're just a jewelry company and people like our rings. So then when they're getting married, they buy our rings. And obviously Facebook probably shows ring ads to people who it knows are engaged, et cetera. But we're trying to figure out ways to really attack that market a little better. And that's kind of our next initiative. And then we'll go straight into product expansion from there. I love that, man. That's a brilliant way to think about it. Uh, one last question, I guess, on that. How do you guys, see kind of like your TAM? Do you see it as like 10 fingers? Do you see it as one finger? Because I actually don't have on right now, but I actually wear two watches. I'm like a, a, a douchey guy where I, <laughs> I have like a traditional like uh, fancy-ish watch and then I don't want to give up my Apple watch. And I thought it was the, so I, I followed this guy, uh, Horace Dedu. He's a big Apple analyst, just a super big quant. And years and years and years ago, that's what he said about the Apple watch was that you're going to have to displace this, but you actually have two wrists. So I don't know if you guys think of it in that way or is it just one finger or does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think about our TAM, at least currently, historically, again, we thought of it more of like the luxury thing of like, we just want to be luxury jewelry. We want to be penetrating that luxury market. Um, our current hypothesis on TAM though, is that the most effective way to expand our TAM is to go more into that wedding marketing. So like, I don't have the exact numbers, but I believe it was something like, I'll round it out to make it right. But I believe jewelry, men's jewelry is something like $5 billion a year, Tam. Okay. But not including weddings. Oh, wow. But then if you include wedding jewelry, it's, and I think this is both men's and women's mix, but like wedding jewelry, not women's jewelry, just wedding jewelry with men and women, like engagement rings and bands is like 30. That's a lot more exciting. Yeah. So it's just like, if we can be, if we can focus really heavily into being like a luxury millennial Gen Z band option, that seems to be that seems to be the best way to increase TAM in the short term. And then from there, really figuring out figuring it out of like signet rings, probably really easy, like tack on because, you know, like things like that. Um, but that's in our head. It's just like, how do we take what we're doing and kind of solve a how do we solve a marketing problem, not a product problem right now? And then and then after that, move down the lanes into all of these different product expansions. Cause like I do think there is, I think with enough brand equity, there's that there's a lot of room over a 10 or 20 year cycle to expand more like a traditional fashion house. Like I would love to be there in 50 years, like, you know, where you can go, like maybe you can literally buy like a Patrick Adair suitcase or jacket or tennis shoes. And it's all just because we make at every product category, we just make a super cool premium. We call it luxury because like I listened to the Acquired podcast one time. I think it was the LVMH thing. And they had this really good quote where it was premium versus luxury. And they were talking about how, and, and the way they were thinking about it is premium is feature rich and we're not feature rich. So like I'd say like Ridge is like a premium product because it's feature. It's like the Ridge wallet, even the Ridge wedding bands, like they have all these features that they're pushing. Whereas like, I would say, even though we're definitely like the bottom of the price point in the luxury market, we are in the luxury side of like, we're more money, like we're the price we are because of how it looks, not because of it does X, Y, Z 
every other scene, you know? Couldn't agree with you more. And that for people that don't know, go listen. The LVMH, for the Acquired Podcast is incredible. But the LVMH one is one of the best podcasts, especially if you are at all like quasi-luxury interested. The way they break things down is so interesting. And honestly, the way I think about it is um, utility versus status. Because if you've ever like, don't ever buy expensive or don't ever buy luxury products with utility in mind. I, I've bought like luxury towels. I've bought luxury. They're horrific. They're, they're, they're terrible. This is like a smaller, like more D to C luxury kind of brand that I bought from a brand that like I still love. I would buy there again, but I bought a pair of shoes that I proceeded to wear like daily for like, it, they didn't last like five. Exactly. Months, you know? Yeah. So they were like, they were kind of like a, they're like more of like a house shoe kind of slipper kind of shoe, but they definitely were not meant to be like worn for eight hours a day. Like exactly every day for four months and i was like oh i i should have known this but. yeah go premium in that sense but uh yeah luxury is just uh it's i, I love it man it's just the anti-marketing marketing it's just a, such a fun vertical but yeah you can get into some weird capitalization stuff but okay let's jump into rapid fire you ready yeah let's do it okay Salt Lake City, overrated, underrated underrated Ooh, i love it black friday <laughs> cyber monday overrated underrated um overrated Ooh, i love that answer loyalty programs overrated underrated Overrated. Um, Instagram, overrated, underrated. Underrated. Uh, TikTok, overrated, underrated. Overrated. Ooh, spicy. Collab with anyone. Who would you collab with? Um, Probably Post Malone. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, he's a Dallas guy out here in Texas. Uh, favorite meal and why? I really like ramen. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I'm just like a- Have you been ramen tatsu out here? I haven't. Oh my gosh. Next time I've, you come out, some of the best ramen. It's okay. one of my favorite places. I'll check it out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like kind of like the bougie ramen, but like the, the restaurant isn't like condescending or douchey, but the food is just exquisite. <laughs> uh, That's my kind of place. Exactly. Favorite place travel to and why? Um, I really liked San Juan Island in Seattle. It was just like a, it was just a vibe. Oh, really? Is, where is, is that in like, I've never even heard of that. It's like Northwest. So it's like an hour. You have to like drive an hour north and then you take like a ferry for like 40 minutes amazing i was just out there in like the sounds yeah and it's just small island like probably five ten thousand people on it just it's just a super bit it's just super chill vibe dude the pnw is amazing I, I i got to go to victoria i got to go to vancouver it is it's stunning up there man yeah it's a really it's, it's just area. that same thing but it's like you're just like on an island it's kind of like feels like you're in the middle like it feels like you're isolated like totally isolated you know because i mean you're on an island like the only way to get off is either a ferry or you have to be rich enough to charter a private plane uh okay last question if you could have dinner with three people dead or alive fictional or non-fictional who would it be so you're sitting at a four-person table you're at the head you get three invites who's getting the invite from lewis number one mark zuckerberg the zuck do you think that fight's gonna happen i no no it can't right I think if that fight happens, every single person who works for Elon Musk's family office needs to be <laughs> fired and maybe, maybe charged criminal. Like, can you imagine the insurance policy on that fight? Though it has oh, to be yeah. astronomical. No like, yeah, I can't. Uh, Dana There's, White said it'd, it'd make a billy in uh, pay per view yeah, revenue. I mean, I'd watch it. I don't know what that says about me, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely would watch it, but like, I feel like that's not watching a fight. Like, I would put so much just after the having seen shirtless pictures of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg 
I would put a million dollars Zuck on Mark Zuckerberg. Good, man. He looks and, solid. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't even bat twice. Ooh, okay, the next two. I've thought about that one a lot. I, you know, anything I can do to make Mark Zuckerberg like me and just toggle that performance switch on the Facebook backends, you know, I know he's got a secret one where he's just like, hey, I can give this brand zero dollar CPMs. Oh, dude, what a master too, where uh, finally realized metaverse wasn't the path, made some cuts. And I think Facebook's up almost 100%, 90% year to date. Like, I mean, the market oh, yeah. loves it. What a masterful, like, uh, that has to take a lot of ego to, for your baby, your bet, you even change the name of your company for it, and then to have to take it out behind the shed. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it was a really, uh, Definitely. awesome move by him. I still think, I honestly, I honestly think they're still like, I think they're early, but I would not be surprised if they execute something really well there, but they're just like still five or 10 years early, yeah. you know, and maybe they end up killing it because of how early they are. But it's like, like, I think the hardware is just a little too far behind for like the actual social networking aspect that they want. But I think, I think they're the best people to execute that when it is ready. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, okay, so you got Zuck. I need two more. Let's do, I'm going to say probably like Bernard Arnault. Yeah. But like, it probably should be someone way more like involved with LVMH. There would be someone from LVMH. Yeah. No. And so just to go quick. He was the richest uh, non-founder in the world for the, or richest non-founder uh, for the, for a few and then I think uh, Microsoft. Or- uh, definitely him. Like he's definitely my favorite. Like my, yeah, definitely. Like I like his business the most, not in the terms of like, it's the best business, but I, I think his business is the coolest. Um, 100% definitely. Okay. Yep. I need one more. He did miss on Gucci to be fair, but I think that was his, his only, his only real big strike. Uh, I need one more shoes. With all your academia, no scientists, no Carl Sagan, no Fermat, no nothing, huh? The, the academia doesn't nah, get, doesn't. I don't know. I just, I don't even like look at stuff like that as much anymore. I just, um, I like grew up, I was like, I really was like a super nerd. Like I, I dated those like super nerdy girls where like we would talk about like freaking math, you know, like that's what a date was. It was. Let's do an, let's do an integral together. <laughs> yeah. Na- yeah, exactly. Now <laughs> I'm just like a degenerate who's like, I want to wear like gold chains that's and it. denim, you that's know? That's it. Oh, I need one Luxury more. Let's DJ. think this through. Let's think this through. Oh, I should have. Honestly, I was hit. It would have to be like Post Malone or someone. That'd be who, fun. I don't have a good example, but like it would literally just be the selfish reason of like, I, I would literally go look at the, I would go try to do like an audit of who is the largest pop rap star that I think I could put Patrick Canerda's eye jewelry on that might wear it after sitting at a table where, Let's they, go. where they go, oh, what do you do? We'll go, we make rings at a meteor. Let's so go. like Post Malone or anyone else who's like going to think like meteorite and go to the city. I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think Travis Scott could probably, he's a, he's yeah, a pretty Travis. eclectic guy. He wears, uh, he wears yeah. some pretty eclectic stuff that's obviously I'm trying to end. think. I, I just read an interview somewhere and I can't remember who it was, but I know there's like a, there's a bigger NBA player who wears... Some who like wears stuff that like would be one to one with us, but I can't remember who it was. Grab women Yama. The he's a little Frenchy. He's gonna have some oh, yeah. fashion taste. Okay, so you got. Uh, I'll make sure I keep Britney Spears away. <laughs> Zing! Look at this guy I'll, up on the pop culture. I love it. I could fight Britney Spears. <laughs> Zuck can fight Elon. I'll fight Britney Spears. That can be. There's the a, that there's a the two Billy. That's a two Billy pay per view. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, those are great picks. So you, uh, who'd you get? You got Zuck, Bernard Arnault, the uh, leader of LVMH, founder of LVMH, and then uh, Post Malone and or some other eclectic pop star yeah. slash rapper. Uh, that's a solid, that's a fun dinner. That's a fun dinner. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Lewis, this has been incredible, man. How can the people find you? How can they follow you? How can they buy more rings? 
Uh, you can buy rings at patrickanairdesigns.com. You can, uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't have a lot of followers and I'm just very obnoxious. So I don't, I don't know it if it's a, I don't know if you want to go out there, but uh, Let's I'm on Twitter. If you want to ride the lightning, go get that follow. Yeah. What's your handle? Uh, I think it's just at Lewis WS. Beautiful. I love it. Dude, you're the man. Thanks so much for jumping on. I uh, love what you've been doing. I did not, I st- that mic drop story is going to live rent free in my head. You're going to be an inspiration to all the nerds and maybe you're going to ruin some lives. Maybe you'll make some people even happier either or like. It, hey, it, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I, you know, I'm very big on the whole, if I can't, if I can't win, at least I can drag some people down with me, you know? <laughs> And we'll leave it at that inspirational quote, the crabs in the bucket. Let's go. Awesome, Lewis. Thanks so much, dude. We'll get you back out here in Austin. I'm, uh, I owe you some ramen and we'll get it done. Um, if you guys want to get more involved in Triple Whale, we're triplewhale.com. We have a fantastic newsletter. It goes out every Tuesday, Thursday called Whale Mail. You can subscribe right at triplewhale.com slash whale mail. And if you want to actually see our beautiful faces and look at that magnificent mop of Lewis's, you can go to our YouTube channel. All of our podcasts are on there, youtube.com slash triplewhale. And then if you do want to actually see a real proper YouTube channel. Um, the Patrick Adair YouTube channel has some just absolute, almost like ASMR type videos, man. Some of the the visuals there are just, you guys you guys nailed that. It's a really beautiful channel. Go join 859,000 subs plus and growing. Patrick Adair, go get you some amazing rings. Lewis, you're the man. I appreciate it. That is another ROAS in the books, folks. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>